What a wonderful message in that song. And thank you for sharing that with us, uh, reminding us, causing our minds to understand God's promises are true. Uh, This is what I've been dealing with this week uh, in this concept here of holiness under stress. And uh, actually that subtitle, let me go back to that, help I can't stop thinking about. Actually, I had a person ask me about that title. He said, Brother Tucker, what do you mean, help, I can't stop thinking about? When you went through trauma, you went through oftentimes very, very difficult things, your mind replays and replays and replays the events. And after a while, after a while, some of it, there's other things that begin to become attached, very, very strong emotions um, that reinforce some of that thinking. And if the thinking is distorted or the thinking is not healthy, um, then uh, it adds to the replay factor until after a while you begin to define your life based on the thoughts that you're thinking. That's why the Bible would admonish us to guard our hearts, guard our our thoughts, guard our minds. Uh, Things like, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so tonight, we're going to conclude at least this, what I've been doing with pardon me, with part three, and the the whole concept of holiness under stress, help, I can't stop thinking about it. But I'm here to tell you tonight there's a way to change those unhealthy thinking patterns, and uh, whether it be a temptation, or you've went through a time of, you've experienced injustice, a time of deep pain, a time of deep grief. Uh, Those things can be addressed adequately from God's Word. Could we stand together, please? I'm very happy to open up a text of God's Word, uh, but I believe what I'll do, and I'll welcome you to turn there also, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read it from uh, what is displayed up here on the wall. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And you see, I have this both underlined and I've made the print bold, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Father, tonight, help us as we're here together and we look at your word. May the word of God become as it has promised to be. May it become the sword which divides asunder to the the very joint, the bone, the marrow, and cause us, dear Lord, to be open and transparent as we look into your word concerning our hearts, and then to respond accordingly. Lord, we need you tonight. I need you. Once again, I confess that dependence upon the help of the Holy Spirit this evening to be able to minister, dear Lord, in a way in which it will both give help and hope but Lord, it's not my job to convict. That is exclusively the job of the Holy Spirit or to apply the truth as we have need. And so, Father, we welcome you to do this tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going to do a little bit of re- review here. I, I've told you about the five catastrophic questions that I had to deal with. Uh, just very, very quickly, number one, are God's people good when they hurt you? And I qualified that last night, and I said this simply. 
if they're doing it on purpose, they're not good. I don't care what they profess. I don't care what their title is. Never has a person in the body of Christ been called upon to bully, hurt, or intimidate another part of the body of Christ. Again, I will not, I will offer no apology for that statement. So it's not up for negotiation with me. Number two, is the church good when it abuses or neglects you? It is not good if it does it on purpose. There could be instances where churches were not aware. <clears throat> they made a decision. They, weren't, they didn't think it fully through. They didn't understand the, the full issue. Why? Because we're human. But if we're doing it on purpose, we're not good. We're not functioning as God intends. Amen? Number three, is the word of God good? Well, it's always good, but the devil wanted me to believe that it wasn't. God's word always functions as God intends. Uh, I bring you to number four, as, as this was posed to me, is, God's, is God good? And that's the oldest question that the enemy uses against humanity, questioning the goodness of God. God will always function as he intends. You can count on that. Now the question is, are we cooperating and functioning as God intends for our lives? And last of all, it was brought to my heart and mind, am I even good for even asking these kind of questions? Have you ever noticed that the enemy wants to turn it around on you, cause it to backfire, and uh, <clears throat> so that you experience self-condemnation? Well, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I'm good if I'm functioning as God intends. Amen? You say, well, Pastor, why, Pastor Tucker, why would you say something like that? Are you aware that at the, at the judgment, we already have part of the dialogue that's pre-recorded for us? Part of that dialogue that God is going to state, these will be his words. <clears throat> he will say to those who have functioned as he intended, well done thou good and faithful servant. That's already, that concept is going clear to the judgment. It started out on the day of creation when God looked at the first day of creation, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and he said, this is good. Everything is functioning as I intend. Romans 8, 28, just as a reminder, all things work together for good. Joseph, when his brothers came before him, just doing a little bit of review, he looked at his brothers who had sold him into slavery. He said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Functioning as God intends. That brings great comfort to my heart tonight. <clears throat> Let's just do a quick review. Three of the four concepts from last night of bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Number one, I told you that you can learn to turn thoughts into conversations with God. Just a reminder, there was a couple back in the garden. You and I tonight are products of their result, of their choices, because they chose not to turn their thoughts into conversations with God. And look where that got us. Okay, so that's enough said there. Number two, expose and examine troubling thoughts to God's word. Do some fact checking. Right now there's a very common, there's a very common phrase and cliche, uh, fake news. Uh, just, just so you know, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> Can I say it like that? Every once in a while, run that, run that thinking, expose it, examine it up against God's word and go, wait a minute, am I thinking correctly about the issue here? Okay? 
Amen? So just, just expose and examine troubling thoughts, compromising thoughts, deviation thoughts. Ex- expose and examine those thoughts to God's word. Number three, act upon the principles and the promises of God's word. Why? Because God validates our actions when we believe his word. One of the favorite stories, and I gave it last night, and I'm not going to do a reenactment of it, but Zacchaeus, who is nothing like me because he's a wee little man, I'm not, and uh, he gets up on a limb, out on a limb. I love that. God, God planted a tree for a man to get out on a limb. Isn't that great? It's not the first time we as men have gotten out on a limb, uh, but I'll, I'll pause right here. If you were here last night, I told you that little situation about what I did to my wife. Pastor Morford, there were a few women who were glaring at me. I'm telling you, they weren't thinking good thoughts. I, 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 I just, I could tell by the expression on their face. But my, after, after what had been added or what I had, that little shenanigan prank that I pulled on my wife, you'll remember that uh, I said to her the next morning, I love you. And she said, <laughs> she looked at me and she said it like this. She said, I, <clears throat> I will always love you, but some days I don't like you. <laughs> you remember that? And I told her today on a, in a conversation on the telephone, I, I was telling her, I said, honey, I shared that with the conversation. She goes, I'm glad you understand. So we'll just move along here. She knows that I've learned the lesson well, I hope. Well, let's go a little further. Let's go to number four tonight. And the last one, I want to give attention for the whole service to this point. When you have those troubling thoughts because you have been wounded, you have been hurt, injustice has come into your life. A a root of bitterness is trying to spring up in your heart and trouble your soul and defile you and everybody else who's around you. You can reply to those thoughts with God's word. I have a picture up here tonight, just simply says the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. That's an artist rendition. I don't know what he looked like when he was in the wilderness. I know this much. He was at his lowest physically. He had to have been after 40 days and 40 nights. One time somebody came to me and they said, Pastor, how do you think you would fare if you had to fast for 40 days and 40 nights? And I jokingly looked at them and I said, have you not looked at me? I said, the devil could look at me and say, nah, he's got another 10 days to go. We're not even going to bother him for a while. He has reserves. But Jesus did not. The enemy came to him after these 40 days and 40 nights. You know, one of the things I've noticed in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, there were three very specific times that Satan said, if... If, in the sense of questioning the authority of the Word of God, you know, if you're the Son of God, if you can do this, if you're able to do that. But I also noticed that on all three occasions, Jesus said, no, no, it's not if, it is. It is. It's not a question. It's not up for negotiation. It is the word of God, and Jesus made it very clear that he was going to follow the word of God in his words, his thoughts, and all of his actions, amen? Do you know tonight, you and I also have the privilege to be able to do the same thing? 
we can respond to these troubling thoughts, these chaotic thoughts, these chaotic questions that the enemy brings to, into your life. We can reply with the word of God. And when we're done, we can say with authority to the enemy, no, 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 no. This is not if the word of God wants me to do this. It is the word of God. It says this. And by his help, I'm standing here on the authority of that written word of God, that expressed will of God. I'm not moving. You get behind me. Amen. Amen. And thank the Lord that we have that kind of authority through Christ Jesus tonight. But let me notice, let me note tonight that there's a few things. You cannot reply with God's thoughts that you do not know. If you have, well, here's some ancient wisdom. Read it for yourself. I, I appreciate the fact that you've come to church tonight, but quite frankly, if the only time you get Bible language, if the only time you get God's thoughts are when you are in here, you are seriously malnourished spiritually. Read it for yourself. There is no pastor, there is no evangelist that can cover all of the scope of God's word even in an entire year. It is too vast. It is, it is macro. It is large. It is all-encompassing. It entails many details about our life. We can't preach about every single issue. We don't have enough time. And quite frankly, you probably won't remember next week what was preached last week. I'm just being honest. I've said under many, many men who have preached, could I tell you everything that they preached? No. Often I could. I could probably quote back to you the bulk of the sermon. But I'll tell you this much. When you are reading the word of God for yourself and all of the sudden the Holy Spirit comes alongside the very text that he has authored and he comes to enlighten your heart and mind. You've read that a hundred times before, but why is it that you just saw it for the first time? Have you noticed? It's like, I know I've read that. But look at, and you're excited about it. I enjoy talking to people who are excited about something brand new that they just learned from the word of God. There's something so vibrant about them and, and they may come to me and say, Pastor, do you know what I read this week? Have you ever read that? And I go, yes. Do you know how the Spirit of God ministered to my, that to my heart? And I go, no. And I go, tell me. It's so encouraging to listen how the Holy Spirit ministers the Word of God to the individual in their time of just an open heart, an open mind, seeking for the truth, desiring to do the will of God. That's the heart that God longs to come to. And he uses his word to do it very, very successfully. But you, you need to read it for yourself. 
Because the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance in an hour that you need it. That's a promise. But what if you don't know the Word of God? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit could bring to your mind something that you've never read? That is possible. But he tends to work with what you know about. He tends to work that way. Number two, let God's word mean exactly what it says. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. I'm going to use another version only because I felt that it, it helped in this situation. I'm not really over familiar with that particular version. But 2 Peter 3.16, this gives us some interesting words. Peter is writing this about the Apostle Paul. And quite frankly, it doesn't sound very complimentary. Here's what he said. Peter said he, Paul, writes the same way in all his letters. Speaking in them of these matters, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Anybody here ever listen to a preacher who is hard to understand? Once in a while it happens. And then he went on to say, which ignorant and unstable people distort. They don't understand it, so they distort it. As they do the other scriptures, what? To their own destruction. Just because you don't understand something a preacher is preaching does not mean you have to distort it. Amen? Tuck it away and think, huh, wonder what he meant by that. There were many a time when Jesus would preach to the multitudes the disciples would come to him privately and say, we didn't get it. Could you explain that? Could you clarify that? And Jesus would say, sure. The kingdom of heaven is like. <clears throat> On a few occasions, he'd say, really? You don't get it? They got it. Why don't you? You know, we can overthink some things. Amen. <laughs> Especially if it makes us uncomfortable and we want to find a loophole around it. <clears throat> the question is not, what does this mean to me? Rather, the question when we read the scriptures is, what does it mean? Let me try to qualify that. God's word is not sub subjective to your experience. That's it. That's it. I'll try to explain that a little further. In other words... I will not recruit a scripture or a church or a pastor or a group of friends to support my wrong attitude, words, or actions. But I know a lot of people who do it. I have no idea tonight if there are those here within the congregation who would be referred to as church hoppers. I don't know. You don't like the way something was done. And I, I acknowledge, I acknowledge sometimes it is of a necessity to leave. I get that. I understand that. But I have, it's been my experience in 32 years of pastoring that people who just move from church to church to church to church to church to church to church, it might not be the church. Thank you for amening me on that. I appreciate that round of applause and that overwhelming support on that issue right there. But I have found people who will take the scripture or a pastor or a church or a group of friends and they have a horrible attitude 
or ungodly actions or ungodly words, and they will actually find scriptures to reinforce their way of thinking and their way of life. That's not what we're trying to do, folks. Amen? Have the right attitude about what God says for your thought life. Now, let me, let me digress on this. This is, this is the third point here. <clears throat> do you need help in your thinking, but you're unwilling or stubborn or too proud to ask for it? Do you enjoy it when somebody comes to you and says, you know what, you're wrong. Now, maybe they could have used a little more tact and grace. Let's just be honest. But out of genuine concern, they come to you and say, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. You don't have all the facts. You've not come to the correct conclusion about this. And uh, I would like to help you, but you respond with, no, I'm not willing. Most people will not say, bless God, I am too stubborn. Very few people will stand up. I have never yet in 32 years of pastoring I have never yet heard anybody stand up in any service and say, Pastor, praise the Lord. I just want you to know something. I am stubborn. I am unwilling. I want to get my own way and uh, praise the Lord and sit back down. Nobody, I've never heard anybody testify like that. But I've watched people act like that. They didn't have to say it in words because actions were speaking louder than the words. But do you need help in your thinking, but you're unwilling, you're stubborn, you're too proud to ask for it? You you say, I'm not unwilling and I'm not stubborn. Okay, wives, by a show of hands, how many husbands will ask for directions when they're lost? Go ahead. One, okay. One wife has said that her husband will do it. Oh my. You know what that just told me? We've got a whole group of guys here who are unwilling, who are stubborn and too proud to ask for directions when they get lost. But that's not a very good preaching point. So moving right along. The Bible instructs us to seek the advice of wise counselors. Listen to this verse in Proverbs 11, 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, I've read that verse for many years and I imagined a group of maybe guys sitting around and they're discussing a variety of things. They're coming to conclusions. They're considering options. They're talking about problems. They arrive at a a consensus and said, yep, this is what we're going to do. Actually, that's not even what that verse means. It can go there, but that's not really what it means. You see, I live in an area, this is, actually, this is actually an aerial view of where I live. Over to the right of this picture, that is Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. There are the twin bridges there called the Blue Water Bridge. The reason they're called the Blue Water Bridge is because the water is blue. <laughs> A very nice, several shades of blue. It looks like that most of the time. It's not muddy. It's oftentimes tropical blue. Over on this side is, is uh, Port Huron, Michigan. I live just a little bit north and west of this, just three miles from this bridge. It's an international bridge. We see a lot of things there. We see f- freighters. We see ships 
from all over the world. You say, how do they, how do they get there? Way out on the East Coast, there's a thing called the St. Lawrence Seaway. They come around to set locks near the Niagara Falls area. They begin to make their way into Lake Erie. They make their way, of course, uh, they, make a, a north, they have a northern route. They begin to come up through Lake uh, St. Clair, and then they come up into Lake Huron. And uh, we, we can see ships from all over the place because they're going to like places like Duluth, Minnesota, and on and on and on. And so we, we see a lot of these ships. This I'm going to go back. Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. That word counselors there literally means, oh, by the way, this here is another picture at night of what we look at often, the Blue Water Bridge, the light ship here on. Uh, as a matter of fact, many a, many a time in the summer, uh, at least once, once a Sunday night in the summertime, we hold services right there right there in that park. And it's a beautiful place as we watch the ships go by and we're singing and all these kinds of great things. So just a gorgeous place to live. But the word council is a Hebrew word. It's a combination of three words. It means ropes, sailors, and pilots. Not airplane pilots. They didn't have airplanes back in those days. You understand that. Pilots as in of a ship. This particular ship that you see up here I have actually piloted that ship. I have held the wheel. What happened was when I was pastoring at Erie, Pennsylvania, there were a few pastors and sons that got together. We knew that this ship was pulling into port and it was a tour ship. We could have a three-hour tour. No, it was not the SS Minnow. <clears throat> if you knew what I was talking about, okay, but anyhow... <clears throat> We could ride on this vessel, but the part, of the part of the agreement was we as the passengers would also become part of the crew. And what we began to learn, we began to learn things about the main mast. We began to learn things about the main sail. We began to learn things about the forward sails. We learned what, side of the uh, what the sides of the ship were called. We learned what the front and the back of the ship were called. And here on the, on, in modern day sailing terms, you do not refer to them as ropes, you refer to them as lines. There was already an established crew upon this vessel. So now here we are, we are pulling out of port, we are helping to hoist the, the sails, and then we are going to trim the sails, not with knives, not with scissors. Uh, what that means is we're going to catch the wind we're going to allow that, we're going to trim the sails so that we have the maximum amount of airflow going across those sails to be able to propel that vessel through the water. Once we were out into complete open water in Lake Erie, the captain of the ship, he said, does anyone want to pilot this vessel? Me being the very bashful, shy type of an individual that stays back in the corner and I'm never ever noticed, is like, pick me, pick me, pick me. He said, sir. I said, yes, sir. I said, captain, what do I need to do? He said, I won't let you do anything that'll put this vessel into harm's way or to hurt us as the crew. He said, but do you see this heading here on this compass? I said, yes, sir. He said, there's nothing out here for us to look at except for water and sky. You have no reference points except what I'm telling you on this compass. He said, you keep the front of this ship pointed in the direction of this heading that I give you on this compass. 
Can you do that? I said, yes, sir, I believe that I can. It was a beautiful day. We were, we were moving along. I don't remember how many knots that we were, at what pace we were moving, but it was just a pleasant day. Beautiful breeze, wonderful sunshine, calm waters. It was literally smooth sailing. But you know, I got to thinking as, as I began to pilot this ship and I'm holding the wheel, I thought, wow, I would not want to pilot this thing all by myself. I can't hoist enough sails. I don't know how to navigate when I'm out there on open water and I can no longer see any reference points on the land. I wouldn't even know which way I'm going. One time I was out on Lake Erie on a 22-foot vessel, just me and one other man. We were racing ahead of a storm. It was exciting. There were 12-foot waves in a 22-foot vessel. He was a merchant marine that would sail all over the world. When he'd come home for fun, he'd sail, okay? This guy was radical about sailing. And he called me one day and said, Pastor, would you like to go sailing? I said, okay, but isn't there a storm coming? He said, that's the best time to go. I believed him. Don't always believe what you think. He began to teach me how to trim the sails and to navigate the vessel. And finally he said to me, he said, now pastor, he said, he said, the top of the mast here, he said, I have a line. And on this line, I'm gonna put you, uh, put you into a body harness. He said, then we're gonna put a life jacket on you. He said, but if you really want to maximize the experience of these 12 foot waves up and down and up and down. Are you getting seasick yet? He said, go stand at the front of the bow and I'll navigate. I went, are you serious? He goes, just hang on. I said, what happens if I don't hang on? He goes, you fall overboard. He said, but I have you attached to the mast. You have a life jacket on. I'll reel you in. (laughs) Was I sounding like a sucker at this point? Maybe so. I got up there on the front of the bow of the ship and I'm hanging onto the railing. Oh man, what a blast in 12 foot waves, riding, racing ahead of the storm over to Long Point, Canada. It was really, truly exciting. But I thought, you know, I would not want to sail that vessel all by myself, let alone sail that vessel all by myself in a storm. That would be shipwreck. Did you know that Acts chapter 27, the whole chapter is dedicated to a shipwreck? The whole chapter. Paul is on his way to Rome. They're caught in the middle of what is called a Eurachlodon. It is hurricane force winds. Paul had said previously to the captain, I don't think we should pull out of port yet. I think we should winter here and wait it out. But the captain decided to listen to other people. Besides, what does a preacher know? And so they get out in the middle of this. They go without food, they go without water. People are sick. 
They began to not be able to eat for not just a couple of days, but almost two weeks. They begin to throw the tackling over the ship. They're, they're trying to lighten the ship because now we're not worried about eating. Nobody can eat in this storm anyhow. We're going to have to do what it takes to survive. We're going to have to keep this vessel afloat. And all of a sudden, God sends his angel to Paul and says, fear not, Paul. I'm going to give you all safe passage. Paul stands up in the middle of the storm on a ship that is caught in the storm with sailors who know the ropes. Could I say it like that? But they didn't listen to good advice. They didn't listen to good counsel. And he said, men, you should have listened to me. You would have thought that a woman would have said that, but this, in this case, it was Paul. Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. He says, and now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. He said, no one's going to die, but we are going to experience shipwreck. And there are people who have attended churches for years. They will make a profession without a Holy Ghost possession. They will live their life with the pretense that they are saved, they are sanctified, but their words, their thoughts, their actions say otherwise. They will not listen to the Holy Spirit when he says to them, Son, daughter, repent. They won't listen to a preacher if a preacher deals with very close issues about their life, even though the preacher may have no knowledge about their life. They won't listen to another godly friend. They won't listen to the sailors who know the ropes. And I can assure you, such people are headed they're going to write an entire chapter and the title will be called Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Can I ask you a question tonight? If the Spirit of God is speaking to you tonight, what do you intend to do about it? Amen. What do you intend to do about it? Well, I think I'll pull out a port on my own. Okay. But what are you going to do when you face the storms of life and you didn't listen to a multitude of godly counselors, sailors who know the ropes, and can tell you if you continue in those actions, if you continue with that kind of thinking, you are headed for disaster. What are you going to do? You may not fare as well as Paul did. In Port Huron, Michigan, I know the, the captain of this pilot boat. The pilot boat is a very interesting boat because going from Lake Huron down to Lake St. Clair, which is just down by Detroit, there's several miles there of river. And what's happened over the years is foreign vessels who are not familiar with the river currents, 
They're not sure how to handle it. There's been many a ship that's ran aground. And it causes a lot of damage. To the ship, to the, the, the banks on both the Canadian or the American side. And the current is actually the strongest on the American side. And so both governments have agreed from now on those foreign vessels must have a pilot from the pilot boat. Because these men, they are sailors who know the ropes. They know the currents. They know know the personality of that river. And guess what? We no longer have ships running aground because there's a multitude of counselors who know how to steer the vessels. Amen. I talked to this, I talked to the captain of this pilot boat and I said, how many course corrections do they have to make with that great big 1,000 footer? That's what we call them, 1,000 footers. Those are large ships, 1,000 feet long. Usually they're about 1,300 feet long, technically. He goes, well, he goes, Nathaniel, from the bridge to the Port Huron Police Department, there are 87 course corrections. I said, what's that mean? He goes, a little turn here, a little turn there. Do you know how big the wheel is in these great big ships? That big. That big. Four inches, maybe five. And he said, we give a little, we we turn a little two degrees to the south, or depending on which way they're going on the river, three degrees to the left, four degrees to the right, and that little tiny wheel turns that great big rudder at the back of this ship, and we don't run into anything. Why? Because we know what we're doing. And God sends into your life, when you are going through storms, when you're going through pain, when you're going through difficulty, God wants to send his thoughts from his word into your heart and into your mind. And he might send godly people along who will come along and teach you how to use the word of God so that when you do experience the hurricane force winds, you do not have to be a spiritual shipwreck. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Same word in the Hebrew, men, sailors who know the ropes. Are you wise tonight? A little chorus I love, and let's stand together. <clears throat> I don't know if you know this one or not, but I love this chorus. If you know it, sing it with me. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your way. And step by step you'll lead me And I will follow you all of my days It sounds like godly wisdom to me, amen?
Father, go with us tonight. Give us the wisdom to listen to the counsel of your word and the counsel of those who have went through the fire, who have went through the difficulties, who have went through the testings of life, and they've chosen to walk with God. Not to fall into bitterness, not to fall, dear Lord, into anger, not to fall into the carnal ways of the enemy, but rather, O God, they have chosen to follow after you. Cause our hearts to follow you, dear Jesus. Bless us together. Bring us back together. Tomorrow night we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.